We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. I ask you to turn to Judges chapter 6. We're going to be um, studying the better part of Judges 6 tonight. And as we go through these passages... I do believe the Lord has something that is important to us. I want to open us up in prayer, and then we'll get right at it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again, and we recognize the power and the efficiency and the effectiveness of your word. And we pray, Lord, that even now as we open it, that you'd speak to our hearts. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit that we can understand. We thank you again for meeting us in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Well, tonight we're going to study not only a, a chapter of the Bible, but really a subject that I believe is extremely liberating and it's valuable, but it's also really elusive. It's the will of God. And I think all of us at some point or another have, have struggled with God's will for any situation, and maybe you're struggling with that right now. Now, as we get into tonight's study in Judges 6, we're going to meet really one of the most unlikely leaders in all of Israel's history. Uh, if you've ever been afflicted by a lack of decisiveness, if you've ever been unsure about a decision or afraid to pull the trigger on something, then uh, the life of Gideon is for you. Now, I would compare Gideon, and I know I'm going to date myself a little bit by using this example, but he's kind of like the Barney Fife of the Old Testament. Who knows what I'm talking about? You know, if you're 40-something, you know, or above. If you're 20 or 30, you're like, Barney who? You won't know, but it's irrelevant. He's just this guy that just really didn't have it together. And, and that's, you're, already, you're, you're seeing it already, those of you who know who Barney Fife is. And what I want to do is I want to look at a part of his story first. And as we get that part of the story, then I think the, the rest of the pieces will start to fit together. And so why don't you join me? We're in Judges chapter 6. Excuse me, I'm in Joshua. That would throw everything off. Judges chapter 6. And we'll look at verses 36 through 40. Kind of get the end of his story and then we'll backtrack and start at the, the beginning. So Gideon said to God, verse 36, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool in the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, if you're familiar with Gideon's story at this time, he is wrestling with what God wants him to do. There's a group of people called the Midianites, and they've been giving the Israelites just a bad time. They just... You know, they'd wait for the harvest. They'd wait till the, the harvest was brought in and everything was prepared. And then they'd go and pillage everything after the Jews had done all this work to get their harvest ready to sell. And, and, and they'd just take it when it was finished product. And so, so they were just, the Israelites were hating life. And so God is going to use this guy Gideon to deliver the people. And, and he's told them so. We're going to see that. But he's wrestling with this whole idea of, God, what do you want me to do? Is this really your will? And so... This is what he's going to do. He's going to put out a little test, and, and he's going to take fleece. And fleece is simply wool. It's, it's, it's like material. And he says, Lord, this is going to be the test. I'm going to put the fleece out on the ground overnight. And if I get up in the morning, and the ground is completely dry, and I pick up that fleece, and it's, it's wet, then I'll know that this is your will. And so he wakes up in the morning, and he picks up that fleece, and rings it out in a bowl full of water. And so I think that's a pretty clear answer. But then he says, well, Lord, one more time. How about if we reverse it? And this time, if I put that fleece out and the fleece, that piece of material stays dry and the ground all around it is wet with dew, then, then I'll know 
that this is what you want to do, that this is your plan. And so he wakes up in the morning, sure enough, and ground is completely soaking wet, and he picks up that fleece, and it's just like a towel that came out of the dryer. It's just dry. And, and so the answer to Gideon's question was in the do. It's kind of like if you ask the question, what do I do, like he's doing, well, the answer was in the D-E-W, the do for him. And so whatever he needed to know, the answer was there in the do for him. And so I titled today's message, What Do I Do, D-E-W, because that's just what we wonder. We wonder, what do I do? And so you probably heard of the phrase, putting out a fleece. Have you ever heard, how many heard that phrase before? I'm going to put out a fleece. And the idea behind that is I'm going to do something, some test, some way of determining what the will of God is for me. Just like Gideon literally used that fleece to test the will of God. Well, we use that word or people use that word to say, well, I just want to throw out this test and see what God wants me to do. I'm going to suggest to you that what we just saw Gideon do, even though the Lord met him there, is not the best, it's not the perfect, it's not the ideal way to determine what God's will is for you and I. I think it's a much bigger picture. And so, before we get deep into the study, I want to set out a few reasons why that statement, I believe, is true. That, you know what, a fleece isn't the best way to determine the will of God, okay? So, the reason number one, why is it that a fleece is not the best way to determine, a test is the best way to determine the will of God for me? And the answer is, first, it limits God. It limits God. Because so often when we lay out a test before God, it's, Lord, do you want me to do this or this? You know, and, and sometimes we give the Lord two choices, maybe three, kind of let's make a deal. Door number one, door number two, door number three. And we think, okay, Lord, there you go. Which door is it that you want me to choose? And so often, at least I find this in my life, the Lord has a plan that I didn't even think about. I, I, it wasn't even the, on the radar screen for me, and yet the Lord had something so much better that wasn't my plan A, wasn't my plan B, wasn't my plan C. And so fleeces can be bad because they limit what God wants to do. I, I've limited him to just a few choices when he might have something completely different. Number two, a fleece can be pretty easily manipulated. In other words, if you lay out this test of how, you know, if this test works this way, then I'll know that this is how I'm going to go. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I was in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there with my wife, and, and we were sharing at a church out there. And in the hotel I was at, they had a workout room. And as you could tell, I work out. No, I don't. But, um, but there in that workout room, they had a scale. And I don't know what possessed me. I don't know why I did it. It really ruined my whole weekend. But I got on that scale. And I looked down at the numbers and went, Oh my gosh, what happened to me? I don't know. I don't know how those numbers got so high. And so I've decided that, you know what? I really got to watch the things I eat. One of the things I'm going to cut out is some of the sweet stuff, like how many of you like a donut in the morning or something? You know, you got that special place that you like to stop and, and hit on the way home or on the way out or any time. Well, I have a few places like that. And, and so if I say, you know what, Lord, I know I'm not supposed to be eating this stuff. I know I love it, but I know it's not good for me. But Lord, if you want me to have one, <laughs> open up a parking space right in front of that place and I'll know it's your will for me to, to eat there today. And when you know it, on the fifth time around the block, there's my spot. You know, I mean, that is a manipulation of a fleece. And we can do that, can't we? And so that's not really the best thing. Third, third is that a fleece can actually create more questions than answers. And what I mean by that is, let's say there's a decision you're praying about. I know that your pastor recently went to Cambodia, right? And they did a missions trip there. And, and maybe another trip like that comes up. And it's an opportunity for you to go. And you're like, oh, I'm excited about that. That sounds so cool. Go and serve the Lord in the mission field. And you're excited about it. And so you're thinking, the only problem is the fundage. You know, I mean, it's, it's expensive to go on these trips. And then I don't have the money right now. But I tell you what, I'm going to pray about it. And if I can raise the money, 
if I can get the money by the, the deadline date, whatever it is, then I'll know, God, it's your will for me to go. And so that's your fleece. Well, let's say that deadline date hits and you've got 95% of the money. You, you are so close, 95%. Does that mean that God didn't want you to go? Or is it just press in a little further, take a, another step of faith, sacrifice a little bit more, and you're there? You know, that fleece didn't help anybody. In fact, it might have caused more confusion. And so fleeces can be good, but they're not ideal as far as determining what God's will is. Now, again, while we're on this whole subject of the will of God, let's talk about three things that are the wrong way. To determine the will of God. Because every one of us is going to wrestle with that. What is God's will? What is God's will? Three things that are for sure wrong. Okay? Number one. For sure wrong way to determine the will of God. Just do what your heart tells you to do. I mean, I know that's the subject of popular songs today. And, and you'll hear that. I'm just following my heart. That is the worst thing we could do. Because the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know? I mean, if we're following our heart, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to end up in the wrong place. No matter how hard your heart is saying, yes, yes. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, man, you can't trust your heart. It's deceitfully wicked. Number two, public opinion is a terrible way to determine the will of God. In fact, Exodus 23 tells us, you shall not follow the crowd to do evil. And I know so often people will base their decisions on, well, everybody else seems to do it, so it's okay, right? Not really. I mean, we've got to be people that seek the Lord. So public opinion is not going to work. And third, and sadly the one I see people make this mistake so often, is they determine the will of God through the advice of an unbeliever. Which is so sad. I mean, it's so sad to see people say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having all kinds of trouble and problems in my marriage. And so I talked to my buddy at work. He's been divorced three times. He really had a lot of good things to tell me. It's like, what is that? You know, I mean, you know, Psalm 1 tells us that you are blessed. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And, and so if we're going to seek God's will, then we have to go to people with God's word and God's wisdom and get counsel there. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 6, the bruises of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Our friends will bruise us. Our friends will tell us the truth even if it hurts. But that's a true friend. And so we seek godly counsel. And so we're going to dig in now. Judges chapter 6. And what we're going to do is we're going to go from verse 11 all the way through verse 40. So we're going to cover the better part of the chapter tonight. So bear with me. And I'm breaking it up into six sections. And these six sections are really the six things that help us to determine the will of God. And I don't believe it's a thing where you choose the one you like and you can ignore the other five. I think it's something where you take this, this series of things that we see Gideon do. And when we take these things together as a whole, then I think we're a lot closer to getting that thing that we want, the will of God. What does God want me to do? And so if you're a note taker, let me give them to you. Verses 11 through 16. I'll just give you a keyword. Um, the keyword there is foundation. Foundation. Then in verses 17 through 21, keyword there, worship worship. And then in verses 22 through 24, keyword there, peace. P-E-A-C-E. -E. And then in verses 25 through 32, let's just use the word obvious. Obvious. Then in verses 33 through 35, verses 33 through 35, let's write the word spirit. Spirit. And then lastly, verses 36 through 40, the word is confirmation. Confirmation. And so that's how our study will break down as we continue on and go through this section together. So join me. We're going to start in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, 
that's not Oprah, it's Ophrah, uh, which belonged to jo- Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Again, remember Barney Five? I mean, he's threshing in a wine press. When they would thresh, they would take their wheat and they'd beat it and then they'd do it on top of a hill. And then when it was all beat, it would separate the, the grain from the husk that was outside. And then they would take the grain and they would throw it up in the air. And the wind would catch the husk and blow it away. And down to the threshing floor would fall the, the grain that they would eat or package and sell. Well, he's doing it not on a hill where there's wind to catch that away. He's doing it in the bottom of a wine press because he doesn't want anybody to see what he's doing. because He's afraid. He's afraid of the Midianites. And so, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I'm a nobody. Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And so the key word for this section is the word foundation. And the foundation for determining the will of God is the word of God. The foundation for determining the will of God is the word of God. For Gideon, if you notice in verse 12, 14, and 16, three times it says, The Lord said to him. The Lord said to him. The Lord said to him. Now you need to understand that in Gideon's day, he didn't have it as good as us. We have this. We, we have a completed scripture that we can turn to any day. He didn't have that. But just as certain as what we can read is the word of God for us today, when the Lord spoke to Gideon audibly, that was the word of God to Gideon. And it was as certain as what we read here today. It was the word of God to him. Now, there are people that will say, you know, there's, there's kind of two different kinds of Christians. There's some that it seems like the Lord speaks to them all the time. It's like, the Lord showed me this. The Lord told me that. The Lord showed me this. And, and, and I'm not one of those. And so, so when I see people, it's like, man, that's frustrating. Because it just seems like they've got the hotline to God. And it's like God tells them everything. And, and I feel a little left out. And then there's the rest of us. It's like, man, you know, I, I, don't, I don't seem to hear God speaking to me in the way that he speaks to so-and-so. And and what I want to encourage you is this. If you're the person that says, you know what, God doesn't speak to me. He doesn't speak to me. Then you can do this. You can take this book. You can open it. And when you read it aloud, you have God speaking to you. You have God's word coming to you. And so we have God's word. Now, the foundation, again, is God's word. And understand, this is important. God's will for you will never contradict God's word to you. Did you get that? God's will for you will never contradict God's word to you. And that's important when we're determining the will of God because in many ways it simplifies things. Every once in a while I'll get somebody and, and he's having a bad marriage. And he'll say something like, you know... I think God wants me to leave my wife. I mean, I met somebody at work and she's really nice and we get along so good. And, and so God wouldn't want me to be unhappy in this marriage I'm in. And so, so I, I really believe it was God's will for me to divorce my wife and marry this other gal so we can be happy. And I can tell him on the authority of Scripture, that's not God's will for you. The Bible says God hates divorce. He says we're, we're to, to cleave to our wife. And so, so I can assure you on the basis of Scripture that, my friend, that is not God's will for you. You can do that and be out of God's will and be in all kinds of trouble, 
or you can do things right, be in God's will, get reconciled with your wife, get some counsel, and get things moving. And so, you know, God's will for us will never contradict God's word to us. That's the first thing. It's the foundation. And so it always starts here when we seek the will of God. It always starts in the word. Now, secondly, verses 17 through 21. Second word there is worship. Why? Because in determining the will of God, we find that Gideon does something really cool. He worships the Lord. He, He brings offerings and sacrifices to the Lord, just like you and I can. Verse 17, Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here, or pardon me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread, then an ephah of flour, the meat. Uh, He put in a basket and put the broth on a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was on his hand, uh, in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And so Gideon is being told, hey, you know, it's you. You're the guy. And he says, wait a minute. If it's really so, then stand by. And what does he do? He goes and he prepares an offering. And he prepares sacrifices. And he brings them before the angel of the Lord, which is, I believe, an Old Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And he, he brings them and he lays them out. And the angel touches the meat with the staff in his hand and fire comes out into that rock and consumes that offering. It's an Old Testament way of saying that offering was accepted. And so Gideon comes and he says, you know what? I want to know that this is the real deal and so what am I going to do? I'm going to spend time in worship before you because adoration and celebration bring revelation. When we take time before the Lord and we adore Him and we love Him, then He reveals things to us. How I appreciate, even tonight, just coming and being able to worship with you guys. That was great, wasn't it? I mean, we're so blessed in Calvary just to have the worship teams we do and the opportunity to just worship the Lord in spirit and truth the way we do. What a blessing that is. And I want to give you a New Testament example of this. So turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Book of Acts... Chapter 13, and we're going to take a look at just a a couple verses there. It's really one of my favorite churches in the Bible, if not my own personal favorite. Acts chapter 13. And we'll just look at a handful of verses there, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And notice this, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so what is happening here in this church in Antioch is so cool. Because what are they doing? They're ministering to the Lord. That's worship. They're, they're bringing Him sacrifices. They're bringing Him their offerings of love and, and, and worship. And it's in that environment that the Lord meets them and says, set aside these two guys for the project that I have for them. You see, it's that very thing. When we will allow ourselves to be caught up in the bigness of God, then the little things that we struggle with, like, should I take the job or not take the job? Should I move or not move? Should I ask her to marry me or or stay single? Or all these things. If we will get into the bigness of God, then these other problems, man, they kind of shrink in comparison. 
And that's a good thing because we get so much better of a perspective when our problems and our issues don't seem huge and overwhelming. When we can take a step back and go, you know what, Lord, you're so huge. You're so big that, that this thing that I'm wrestling with, you know what, I can leave it with you and I'm just going to worship you. And so often the Lord will say, okay, now that you let me have it, I can show you what I want you to do. And so it's in that, that mode of, of worship and, and, and sacrifice that the Lord meets them there and he speaks to them. And so that's cool. Now, going back to Judges, we see this, the third thing. We've seen that, you know, he brings worship and offerings to the Lord. We know that it's based on the word of God. But then in verses 22 through 24, the key word there is peace. Peace. Now Gideon perceived the angel of the Lord, that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And so the, the, the fourth thing we see is peace. Seek the peace of God because this whole thing is unnerving to Gideon as it would be to you or I. You know, if you see a guy comes and you lay an offering out and he touches it with his staff and fire consumes it and you're thinking, oh man, he's thinking, I am before God, I'm a dead man. And the Lord meets him and says, shalom, peace, peace. And, and we find that he calls him, the Lord is peace. And the Lord gives peace to those who are walking with him. It's a really beautiful thing. It's a beautiful principle we find in the New Testament is that God's peace can direct us. I want to turn you to a couple passages. Colossians chapter 3 is the first one. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 with me for a moment. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 15. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. And so Paul writes and says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, how many sports fans do I have here? Baseball fans? Football fans, sports fans, there's like four of you, five of you. I don't believe that. Anyway, he says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. When he uses the word rule, that is the word used to describe a referee. Like you'd see in a, a baseball game, the ump. Like you'd see in a football game, the referee. The guy that's responsible for saying, you know what, that's fair, that's foul. That's in, that's out. That counts, that doesn't count. You see, that's what the referee does. And here what Colossians tells us is it's the peace of God refereeing, ruling in our heart. The peace of God. And what that tells us is that he leads us with his peace. In other words, there will be times that you are faced with a situation that, you know what, it makes complete sense. Everybody's saying, you should do it. Go for it, man. That's a, that's a no-brainer. It seems obvious. But there's something in your heart, in your spirit, that there's a check there. And you just like, man, you know, I know it makes sense, but I don't have peace about it. There's just something not right. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't have a peace about it. That very well could be that peace of God ruling in your heart saying, you know what? The reason you don't have peace is because I'm not going to give you a peace about it because that's not what I want you to do. The converse could be true as well. There might be a situation where, you know what, it doesn't look like it makes sense at all. People think you're nuts. But you know what? You have such a peace about it. Now, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but you have such a peace about it that everything else lines up, and it's the Lord giving you a peace. And you know what? Even though it doesn't make sense to anybody, it makes sense to me. It's my will for you. Go for it. And so the peace of God ruling in our heart even when you can't understand it. In fact, that's what Philippians talks about. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Just a few pages back, um, Paul writes and says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which rules, uh, let the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And so we can have a peace that is beyond understanding. And so the fourth thing we see for Gideon is, hey, you know what? He says, the Lord is peace, shalom. God's given me peace. And that's what he does for you and I as he leads us, or he takes that peace away. Verses 25 through 32. The obvious. And the idea here is take care of what's obvious. Let me show you something. Verse 25, back in Judges 6. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down, has and cut down the wood image that's beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men and from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the, day, of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. There's your Barney Fife moment again. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it. And it was cut down. The second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. And so Gideon has to deal with something obvious. He is seeking the will of God. What do I do? And the Lord says, I'll tell you what the first thing you're going to do is. You're going to go outside your house, and there's this altar to a false god, Baal. You're going to tear it down. And then you're going to take the image of Baal, and you're going to chop it up, and you're going to use it for firewood. And then you're going to make a proper offering to me. In other words, he's telling Gideon, you've got to take care of some obvious stuff that's happening right there under your nose before I take you any further. And I find that to be a very real principle in life, and, so, and certainly the way the Lord works with so many of us. I find that in counsel, when I counsel people, um, I try and keep things real simple. You know, if it's marriage counseling, I'll say, okay, guys, you know, I'm going to give you two things to do. And it's usually something like, would you start reading your Bible together? Would you start going to church together? Maybe start praying together, you know, just simple, simple things. And, and, and then, you know, we'll meet again in a, a week or two weeks or whatever. And inevitably, you know, we get to three or four or five days out, even the day of that next appointment, and, and, and they come in or you talk and you say, well, how's everything going? And they think, it's terrible. It's awful. It's like, well, have you started doing any of the things that I've asked you to do yet? Well, no. Well, then what's the point of meeting again? And, and it's like, if you haven't done this, what's the point of going any further? Go back and take care of the obvious first. And, and that's what the Lord is doing with Gideon right here. He's saying there's some things that you need to take care of that are obvious. And I believe there's times that God doesn't reveal His will to us because we haven't done the obvious things. The things that He says, you know, these, this is clearly my will. And if you can't do these things, then what's the point of giving you anything else that's my will? Now you might be saying, well then, okay. What's the will of God? What is it then? What's supposed to be so obvious? I'm going to give you four things. Okay, I'm going to turn you to four passages. Romans 12, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, and 1 Thessalonians 5. So we want to join me. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12. We're going to breeze through these things real quickly. But Romans chapter 12 is the first one. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes and says, verse 1, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know, pardon me, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect, what? Will of God. And so what is the will of God for us that would be transformed, not conformed to this world? That's what he says. I, I want you to do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's another one? Well, Ephesians chapter 5. Look a, a couple books down. 
after Corinthians, after Galatians, you'll run into Ephesians, chapter 5. Let's take a look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand, here it is, what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So the second thing he says, hey, you want to know the will of God? Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, live a a wise, Spirit-filled life. Walk in wisdom. That's the will of God. Next one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look a couple pages down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul again says, Finally, my brethren, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. So the third thing, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That we would walk through this life purely. That's God's will for us. That we know how to possess our own vessel. That's our own body. In honor. That's His will. Lastly, probably the next page over, chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so to be continually rejoicing, ceaseless in prayer, constant in thanksgiving, you know, that is His will. And so if you just look at these four things, four separate places in the Scriptures, it's like, wow, you know what? Um... If I did all those things, if you know I was not conformed to the world, but transformed, if I lived wisely, filled with the Spirit, if I stayed clear and kept myself pure before the Lord, if I was rejoicing and thankful and praying all the time, you know what? I don't think I'd have any problems. Exactly. That's the point. You see, God's will becomes a lot easier when we're doing the things that He has said, hey, these are the obvious things that you can take care of. You do those, you'll be fine. Now, going back to Judges, we see that, you know, He's done it. He's torn down this altar to to Baal. He's burned the image. And notice what happens here in verse 29. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon. The son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash, this is his dad, this is Pops, said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning, If he is God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubael, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Look at the witness it was to to Gideon's dad. Gideon's dad is like, well, you know what? I mean, if Baal's God, he should be able to defend his own stinking altar. I mean, you know, and it changed his dad's heart. When God's people will do God's will, 
the world around looks and says, you know what? They are for real. They really do believe what they say. They live it out, and it's attractive. The, the people out in the world go, you know what? I just need to see something genuine. I need to some, see somebody that's really doing what they say they believe. And it changed his dad's heart. It was a witness to him. Verses 33 through 35. Thanks for hanging in there with me, guys. I know you're being so patient with me. Verse 33. The Spirit and seeking the leading of the Spirit. Notice what goes on here in verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abizrites gathered behind him and the messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He, he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali and they came up to meet him. And so what happens here? Well, the coolest thing happens here to Gideon. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. You see, we need to be people that seek the leading and the direction of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. It's so vital for us. We need that. You know, in the, some of the trips I take, I get to travel a little bit, go on mission trips here and there. And one of the things I've learned is if you get the choice between a map or a guide, take the guide every time. Maps are okay. They'll tell you, you know, where everything is. But a guide will get you where you want to go. There's a passage in Romans, Romans 8.14, that says this. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 it says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Lord wants to lead you and I by the power of His Holy Spirit. He wants to direct and guide our steps. He wants to lead our lives. We need the guide of the Holy Spirit. We don't just need a road map. We need a guide. And, and I know that the question, because when you say that, when I say that, I, th I think the question in our mind is, well, how does that work? How does it work that a person is led by the Spirit? I mean, do you hear like, you know, choirs of angels, you know, singing in your ear? Turn left, turn right, do this. Is it like that? What I find is that when the Lord leads me, he leads me in what we could call a supernaturally natural way. In other words, he, he just, he works, he leads, but he leads us in a way that it just seems so natural, but yet you sense he's leading you. He gets you there. He, he gets you where you need to be. And it's really an amazing thing. You know, one of the, I think it was the second time I ever went to Russia. I've been there a couple times, a few times. And it was years ago, I, I, I go to Russia. And as I'm going to Russia, you know, all these things, good things are happening in my life. One of the things is um, Santa Fe Springs, where I pastor and where I live, uh, maybe much like this area, maybe even more than this area, is basically completely Latino. It's 90% Hispanic. And, you know, so it just makes sense if you're going to minister there, you learn the language. You, you learn the language of the people around you. And so, you know, I'm one of the few Chinos that actually can, you know, carry on a conversation to some degree, uh, you know, with, in Spanish. And, and so, you know, I'm working through all this at that time in my life. And I'm there in Russia. And it's the craziest thing because I get to Russia. And there in Russia, I meet the sweetest lady, this gal. Her husband was Cuban, took off, went back to Cuba, took their daughter with him. And so here's this mom, and if you, can, you moms, you parents could understand how heartbreaking it would be to have your kid separated from you, taken away to another country, hadn't seen her in who knows how long. It had been a long time. And all she had to connect with her little girl was a letter. Problem. You got it. The letter was written in Spanish. And I can tell you, you don't find a whole lot of Spanish speakers in Russia. They're not there. And so I don't know how long she'd had this letter and how long she'd stared at it thinking, if I only knew what this said. 
And so the Lord, in his amazing way he does things, takes a Chinese pastor from Southern California and he flies him all the way to Russia. And the thing is, you know, they, you wouldn't assume looking at me, he speaks Spanish. And so here I am. And the thing about me, I don't know if you're like this, but when I'm someplace where I know I'm trying to communicate with people and it's frustrating because they don't speak English and I don't speak Russian. And so my mind's like this little Rolodex. And so if I can't say it in English, I just default to the next language available, which happens to be Spanish. And so here I am, and the Russians don't understand me, the Americans don't understand me. And finally, they say, what are you doing? It's like, I am so sorry. But when I run out of English words, I just throw out a Spanish word, and they say, you speak Spanish? I say, well, I try. And so they introduce me to this lady, and she gives me this letter, and I take it, and I translate it from Spanish into English. And then I give it to the translator, and they take it from English, and they put it into Russian. And this lady's face was amazing. It was like you had just given her the best possible gift. And I just thought, you know, Lord, you're so funny. Because, I mean, to take me all the way to Russia, and I don't know how much ministry I did there, frankly. But I do know this, that the Lord used this one situation, this one unique situation, so that this one precious little saint of his in Russia could somehow connect with her baby girl who she hadn't talked to or seen in years. And I thought, Lord, that's really cool how you work. You just work in a supernaturally natural way. No, there were no choirs of angels telling me to go to Russia. There was no announcements. It was just God getting me where he wanted me to be. And that's the way it'll be for you if you just say, Lord, lead me by your spirit. I want to be where you want me to be. Take me there. Show me what you want me to do. Interrupt my life. And when we take that attitude, you know what? He'll do it. And he'll put you in the craziest places. He'll put you in places you never thought you would be, doing things you never thought you'd do because you simply said, Lord, I'm your servant. Lead me. And he'll take you there. And so we find that the importance of being led by the Spirit. Last thing, verses 36 through 40. And of course, these are the very verses that we started with. So I'm not even going to read them again because you know. But the word is confirmation. I believe if you've done the first five things that we've read, then ultimately you wait for confirmation. The Lord will confirm by either an open or closed door. And I want to suggest to you, if you've done the first five things, you might not even need confirmation. I mean, you've just gone so far in seeking the will of God and saying, Lord, you lead me, you guide me. He'll put you there. And so I want to wrap it up with two more verses on our way out. And the first is in Psalm 106. So if you'll turn there, and then we'll go to First Peter after that, we'll be done. I want to encourage you in this. Is, I know it's not easy. In fact, a study like this, it may make it sound easier than it is. Or maybe we're making it harder than it is, and we're seeking the will of God, and we're making it really difficult when the Lord says, if you just do this, you'll be all right. But in Psalm 106, verse 15, it says this, as he describes the struggles of the Israelites in the wilderness. Not a good time for them. It says in verse 15, He gave them their request, but He sent leanness into their soul. He gave them their request. He gave them what they wanted, but He sent leanness into their soul. And the reason why is because they were asking for things that were not God's will for them. They just asked and asked and asked, and finally the Lord, just like you know, some of us, you know, we have people in our lives, whether they're family or whoever, and they just keep bugging, 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 over and over, and finally you just say, do it. Just go ahead. But prepare for the consequences because you know it's not going to be the right thing. Well, in the same way the Lord says, man, he gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their soul. The reason why? They settled for less than God's will. They settled for less. And so they got what they wanted, but it sent leanness into their soul. And so, 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll wrap it up here in this passage. I want to thank you so much for being patient with me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. 
First Peter chapter four, verse one says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, in this body, in this human body, for the lusts of men, but notice, here it is, for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentile, or the unbeliever. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, in regard to these things, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying, you know, it's really time to live for the will of God. It's really the best place to be. And he just says, look back on your life. And can't you say, you know what? I gave the world, the flesh, and the devil enough of my life. If they got one day, they got too much. But most of us can look back and go, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil got more than a day of my life. Sometimes it was weeks. Sometimes it was years. For some people, it might have been decades that it was just, my life was all about the world, the flesh, the devil, and all that was. And he says, haven't you given that enough? It's time to just say, Lord, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, just your will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for meeting us in this place. I just thank you for this wonderful fellowship, Lord, there their desire for your word, their desire to know you better. I pray, Lord, that as we have spent this time with you and just inviting you to speak to our hearts, we trust, Lord, that um, you're going to meet us and, and it's your word that's effective, not a man, not a person, not his thoughts, Lord, but your word and applying your word to our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for meeting us in this place. And we pray, Lord, that as we go out of this room and into the world, whether we go home, we go to a job site, or we go to school, or wherever it is that you send us, that, Lord, we would be people that seek your will with all our hearts. And now we have a little better idea of how to do that. And so, Lord, we thank you. We ask that you help us. Fill us with your spirit. Go with us and go before us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.